Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation. Ha! Live! It is actually international. I am Ron Colick, your host, the gatekeeper around the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England Zone Van Helsink. And with me, my co-host, all the way from the merry, merry land of England, is, well, Wales, actually, is the gold standard in ghost hunting himself, Mr. Steve Parsons. Hello, how are you? I am great. Uh, I just got a note from, uh, look in the chat in uh, the uh, mm-hmm. Skype mm-hmm. check. Okay, mm-hmm. you'll take care of that? Yeah. Okay, so anyways, uh, the important thing today is to uh, find out something that's really been bugging me for years. And if anyone would know, you would know. So I figured I would ask today. I had put that on the top of my list. What the hell is figgy pudding? Ah, figgy pudding is something that we... It's Cal, it's Cal with the answer. Yeah, Fig, Cal. Figgy pudding dates back to Tudor, Tudor times, um, or before, it's medieval. And uh, essentially, it's uh, the singing word for Christmas pudding. So, uh, it's, it, it's just... A, Christmas pudding is basically a fruit... Suet, suet, uh, suet is a beef fat, so it's a fruit suet pudding that's served with cream or custard. Um, it's full of nuts, it's full of cherries, raisins, sultanas, um, chopped apple, uh, and it's traditionally uh, you pour brandy over it and then set fire to the brandy. Really? Yep. And, and of course, figgy pudding is made with uh, has figs. So, so Christmas is that, Christmas is pudding common, is a sorry. Is it commonly all the time? Oh God, yeah. You make it about a year before. Um, the, what? In fact, yeah. The, the longer um, the longer before Christmas it's made, the better uh, because they they tend to you know two or three year old matured Christmas puddings and then the whole thing is it, it's dropped into either boiling water or it's steamed oh so I, I don't care so how's it last a year uh, because it's sealed up uh, you know it, it, it's it, it, it's wrapped in greaseproof paper it's uh, sealed up and then placed at the back of a cupboard or um, to mature. I mean, it's full of liqueur. It's full of uh, you know. It's full of sugar. It's full of fruit. Uh, the so it's sort of self-preserving. Uh, okay. Like it, like 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 a. Is it any good? It's excellent. It is. It, so uh, modern people. I mean, it's very very popular. I mean, it's traditional. It's what you would have after your Christmas dinner. Um, there's a few people that don't like it. It's you know, it's one of those Is things. It sweet, that... sour. Oh, it's very sweet. It's it's chopped apple, uh, orange, orange, orange rind, uh, fruit, nuts, raisins, sultanas, figs, dates. Oh, it almost sounds like a uh, one of our uh, what do they call those fruit 
fruit things, fruit cakes or whatever the. It is. If, if you, it's not dissimilar to something like uh, a very rich fruit cake, um, but it's runnier and then, but it's made with beef suet rather than, um, or traditionally made with beef suet rather than. Oh wow! Uh, and I, I get. I guess there will be an American equivalent. Um, there is, not, or maybe not. It dates to the sort of uh, medieval England, you know, the sort of uh, yeah. predates the Tudor times, and the modern version, the Christmas pudding. Um, it, it's 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 also fairly uniquely shaped. Most of them traditionally are, are round, ball shaped, like a cannonball, mm-hmm. um, with a sprig of holly on top, and then usually cream poured over, and then brandy, and the brandy's uh, flamed. It's lit for serving. Um, mm. Or you can get the half-circular versions of it, you know, sort of semi-domed versions as well. Huh. And there's all so, sorts of variations on it. Well, I've always been curious about that, and I said, what the hell is pudding? Now I know. So now our listeners know. If if our listeners uh, every know... Brit, every Brit will know it. Okay. If, if any, any of our listeners in the U.S. know of an American equivalent, then... Uh, Send me a, an email or, or messages or something, right? Don't you think? Yeah. yeah. A recipe. We'll put a recipe. Hello. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> All right. So that's done out of the way. Now, the other thing which we we beat about pretty bad on the Monday show was something I think I actually shared on my page. It was, I believe it, you had shared it too, which was uh, about this sh- Woman that has sex with ghosts. Yeah, I I, I did an article for a, a, a British daily newspaper about 18, 12, 18 months ago with another lady. Um, yeah. Who'd also claimed that she was having amazing sex um, with ghosts to the point where she didn't want, um, you know, a regular boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And this one is either another one, another lady that surfaced. It may be the same one. I, did, I haven't paid that much attention to it. I, I posted it on Facebook a few days ago because I there was a lot of people making um, comments about, you know, her mental state. Um, mm-hmm. and, suge- and, and a lot of the comments were quite derogatory. Uh, you of course know, they quite, were. That's because that's what Facebook is like. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I, I spotted the irony that, you know, at the time that everybody was being derogatory for this woman who wanted to have sex. And, in fact, she wanted to be impregnated by exactly. and, and have a ghost's baby that we're all about to celebrate Christmas, which is a virgin birth where a woman was impregnated by a spirit. Um, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the interesting thing, too, is, is there are many, many reports as well throughout the, the years and throughout the centuries, actually, of incubus and succubus and, uh, you know, those are throughout history. And, and that doesn't even count the, uh, you know, the, the references in the Bibles and other uh, ancient materials as well. Well, I mean, I, I, I don't know why, but I mean, I understand there, that people were... Uh, what was interesting is the number of people who who were believers, you know, who were quite strong advocates of the paranormal, and yet they were extremely um, dismissive of um, of this woman. You know, their their first reaction was, um, 
to name call to disparage the woman for for i mean she had these you know they were quite firmly held beliefs she believed in the paranormal she believed in ghosts and spirits she had she'd had amazing sex with them now obviously the lady may have issues but i don't think that you know it's right and proper to jump to any just to jump in and go this sounds mad therefore she is mad um, you know, it, it, there, there have been celebrities who have claimed to have go, um, have had you know sex with ghosts. Um, mm. You know, it, is this woman merely following fashion? You know, jumping on the ghost, the the Me Too bandwagon. Um, you know, for ghost sex because her favourite celebrity has, or is <laughs> she, or does she? I mean, you know. Uh, she could have some genuine physiological condition as well, um, whereby she might be overstimulated. Um, you know, there are known conditions uh, where the sex organs can be st- overstimulated. Um, you know, there's a, there's a condition, bizarrely, that leads, leads some people, uh, females, uh, into a state of almost perpetual orgasm. Now, in the absence of any other information, and I'm only speculating here, in the absence of any other information, that might well lead her to believe uh, that she's having sex with ghosts and spirits. Um, You know, if she's having these untoward, unusual physical signs, effects, uh, you know, how is she interpreting it? I I, I think it's just wrong to just leap into, you know, sort of, well, the, the interesting thing about it in the article that I found uh, kind of weird, actually, is that she claimed that at one time she, that she knew who it was, and then another time she claims that you, she couldn't see him, but her boyfriend could, which didn't make any sense to me. That that was, uh, I think, the biggest problem I had with the the article itself. <laughs> Yeah, there's the inconsistencies there between because she said it was like a, a picture that you know he mm-hmm. she lived with him, so that means she yeah. saw him. Yet when she she says the part where her boyfriend caught her, that she said that you couldn't see him, uh, but her boyfriend could see the image of a man. So to that, it was a little difficult. But the paranormal is full of misperceptions and confused reports, isn't it? It's very yeah. difficult to get two witnesses to ever say the same thing. Mm-hmm. In fact. <clears throat> One of the things that I think <clears throat> you, I, I, um, that you you know ought to be suspicious of is somebody whose account never varies. It is always word for word the same account, description, depiction of. Oh, why events. is that, Steve? That's curious. The reason being is because people uh, very rarely co- uh, are consistent in, an, in in the report. They will tell it a slightly different way on different occasions. Um, you know, when they're describing an experience like what they had to lunch, the drive to work, you know, mundane things, they will, as they tell it to different people under different conditions, even if they're, uh, they will, they will always tell it uh, a slightly different way. They will use uh, the words in a slightly different order. They'll omit small details. They'll include details that they missed out from a previous version. And when when we're actually interviewing witnesses uh, to paranormal phenomena, one of the things that, um, you know, from a psychological point of view, um, that we look for is over-consistency, where the account never, ever changes. It's almost like it's rehearsed, read from a book. Um, that, that 
that is often an indicator of a, of a, a fabrication. See, I, I can see that, like, for instance, when you have several reports and they all report exactly the same thing. Mm -hmm. That would that would that, that, would, that also yeah. brings, raises red flags yeah. as well. Absolutely, because there you would have you know uh, a, an indication of um, sharing of information between people, rather like you know leaning over a school friend and copying the test results. You're going to end up with the same wrong essay question um, if you're copying it, and uh, <laughs> you're unlucky. Uh, but when, when witnesses have shared information and you have a, a strong consistency, it could be that they saw the same thing. But you know, if you, if you and I... The thing is, though, Steve, is that we all see things through our own different. eyes. Yeah, exactly. our own eyes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we, you and I don't see the same color red. Um, we don't hear exactly the same sound. Well, we don't know that we do, but well, assume that we don't. Well, in, in actual fact, we we do know to uh, that we do because when they when they've um, measured. Um, the physiology of the eye, the way mm -hmm. that the eye, uh, and they've done, they've had brain scanners on people when they're looking at colours. Right. They have noticed that the people actually were taught what colours are. You and I know what red right. is, and every listener knows what red is, unless they're regularly colourblind, of course. But we're told that that's red. Um, you know, we only know it's red because we've been told it's red. We right. only know it, it's learning color is like learning language. We know that bl the sky is blue because that color we are told is blue, but your eyes will, your eyes are a different age than mine. They've had different, uh, physical, uh, conditions, dust and light and pollutants and aggravants. And the optics don't work quite the same as mine. Uh, I'm long sighted. You might be short sighted. And, we will always perceive, see the world around us very slightly differently. Moreover, and most importantly of, of all, is we will never see exactly the same viewpoint. There is a very true uh, truism um, when dealing with something like a rainbow, for example, that it is impossible for two people to see exactly the same rainbow because a rainbow is simply the prismatic effect of uh, light passing through the droplets of water. Now, the rainbow you see will be those uh, beams of uh, photons, those beams of light that are passing through particular raindrops and hitting your eye at a particular angle. Those, uh, rain, th those particular light beams will never strike my eye because they are unique to your eye because light is traveling in a, in a straight line. Uh, so we never see the same rainbow. Well, the we do it in a, in a photograph. We, we, we is. Uh, the photograph is only a representation of reality. It's not reality. Exactly. Uh, exactly. You know, that's one of the things. Where, uh, a photograph is is either an electro an electromagnetic representation uh, in terms of digital imaging. Mm -hmm. uh, light hits an, uh, a photodiode, which then turns itself on or off. And interestingly, in terms of digital photography, the color is entirely false uh, because it's passed through a series of it's either um, interpolated from three colors, red, green, blue. There are, there are pixel layers. Um, there are color-sensitive color filters placed over the pixels in a digital camera uh -huh. in, in a particular pattern. And interestingly, there are twice as many green as there are blue and red um, to get a better representation of how humans see the world. So there are yeah. two, two green pixels... Uh, for each red and blue pixel. 
Yeah, see, uh, the interesting thing is... is the is image the, is actually written by a computer. Yeah. But, I mean, our eyes, uh, you say they're, like, totally different, but they're not in a lot of cases. We can actually... In fact, I, I just got back from uh, an eye exam right now. In fact, my eyes are dilated. So, I mean, our eyes can be measured, our, our sight can yeah. be measured, and, and we can see things very, uh, very exactly, I don't know, I couldn't say exactly, but very, very similar to each other. If oh, we have similar same, is not, yeah. Well, but yeah, similar I mean, is not well, what what percentage? That's the the problem. Well, Are you talking point oh 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 no 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 a far a far higher percentage than that. For example, if you and I sat alongside each other um, on the porch, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and, <laughs> and we were viewing a person across the street. Um, oh, our eyes, yeah, I remember. Uh, our eyes are about, you know, even if we put our heads side by side, mm-hmm. uh, our eyes would still be two to three inches apart at their exactly. closest, and uh, approximately a foot apart at their widest. Um, so you are getting a slight parallax error. I would see more of, um, you know, it, it, I would see if I was sitting on, on on your left hand side, I would see more of the per- actually, the person who's facing us. I would see more of her right hand side than you would, and vice versa. You would see more of the left side, only by a few degrees. But those those few degrees, um, you know, if you look at the world through, a, or if you view a stereo image, you will, you know, you you may see the tip of an ear in the right hand image and no ear at all in the left-hand image. Mm-hmm. You know, only a few degrees of separation, um, you know, can, can make a difference. It is impossible for me to see exactly the same as you because I would have to literally be, you know, inside your space, inside the space that your eyes are occupying. But, and that's not even allowing for the differences in our vision. Right. Um, so there the should always be, you know, um, differences. Um, you know, in the way that we see things. And when we view a photograph, again, we're using the subjective part of our brain. You know, you, you see a two-dimensional uh, photograph on a computer screen. I see the same thing. Um, but we, we're interpreting it um, in our own way. I, I've been doing some work this week on night vision um, and understanding night vision. And, of course, we traditionally use red torches or red lights when we're working in night vision because we believe um, it, it works through the military. You know, if you go onto a submarine or an aircraft, yeah. uh, the, the flight deck station, or a Coast Guard station, they use uh, red light um, to preserve the night vision. And in actual fact, a lot of... Uh, Research has been done onto the psychology of vision and how the rods and cones work and the different light frequencies that they respond to. And most red light, if you can see red light, it's already damaging your night vision. Uh, oh, yeah. The, the, degree of, the degree of light is, is what yeah. you're really talking about. Exactly. It's 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 amount of light. And what, what the military have now switched over to uh, or in the process of switching over to is green. Um, a very dim green or white light that is very much a lot less brighter than, for example, the dimmest LED torch, red LED torch. I've got to say that red does give you a degree of um, protection from night blindness as opposed to, you know, uh, destroying night vision. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But true night vision, which the human eye has got, uh, should be monochrome. And what they've been using now is white or green LEDs turned up to the point where the, 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 the operator says they can see colour. When they can see colour, that is the, that's the point, uh, the, the cut-off point. And it's about 0.15 lumens. So it's incredibly dim, you know, um, in, in terms of the amount of light that we can actually see. Um, but if you can see any form of colour, you, you are effectively damaging your night vision capability. That's different than night blindness, um, which, you know, uh, obviously if you're using a very bright white light right. outdoors, you will not see. And so, then you go outside. So what is the science use? Do you use the, the red torches and the, the red we, we, we use We use standard red LEDs for yeah, 90% yeah. of stuff. But we do have two. Um, they're called night vision red. They're actually a uh, U.S. military issue um, for helicopter crews. for, mm-hmm. uh, And they are... You can't. You, 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 it's a red light. It looks. It looks like a, a mini mag light for all intents and purposes. Except it's very much dimmer. Um, you have to be in darkness for you know quite a length of time before it becomes useful. You know, uh, you'd have to be in a darkened room for maybe five or ten minutes before you could even see anything with this red light torch. Um, but. Uh, we so have basically them. you're just I relying can't... on your, your light your light sight anyways. Basically. Essentially, I mean, if you go outside, even on a you know when there's a small amount of moonlight um, or afterglow in the sky, you can see quite well after 15, 20 minutes. It actually takes about forty-five minutes to develop full night vision, right? Um, as opposed to five minutes, it takes about forty-five seconds to destroy it, though. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it's interesting. I mean, we we don't. I can't recall the last time we even put batteries into those uh, military night vision torches. Um, you know, to look at them, they're not much. They're not much brighter than the sort of dim infrared LEDs that you would get on um, on a night vision camcorder, so, for example. So, for people who, I mean, I remember when I first started doing ghost hunting, we would use flash cameras. So, a, a flash camera's. Uh, is, is that a mistake? In other words, people should not be using flash cameras, or should they? Well, the first thing is they probably shouldn't be going something in the dark anyway. I know that's a given, but it has to be said. Um, uh-huh. You know, there are places. I'm thinking of uh, Portsmouth Harbour Lighthouse. I'm thinking of you know um, you know other other locations uh, where there is no power and it is a dark place. Or the person had their experience in the dark. You know, a lot of ghosts are reported at night. It's not true to say that ghosts only materialise or only manifest no, at no, night. But you know, historically, um, the ghost was always associated with the hours of darkness, and the majority of people still have their experiences after dark in conditions of diminished, decreased light. So, you know, obviously, um, we spend a lot of our time in dark places. So if we're seeing the ghost in dark, why would we use a flash camera? That's what I'm trying to get at. Well, it's a very, well, essentially, it's, it's, it's due to the poor technology of the camera. Because with only with the very uh, recent models of digital cameras where we can go up to ISOs of 25,000 
or 112,000, I think, with the newest uh, DSLRs that are coming out. Um, the image is still very, very grainy. It's very, very low resolution because obviously the, the in order to work optimally, the sensor requires a certain number of photons to stimulate the pixels in order for them to um, send the signal to the processor of the camera or to trigger the electric the uh, chemical um, the, the chemical reaction in a piece of uh, 35 millimeter film for example mm-hmm. if that's lacking in a digital camera then electronically the camera can turn the gain up it can it can ramp the signal up it can magnify the signal but when it magnifies the signal it magnifies the electronic noise that goes along with the signal the noise that comes from the electronics within the device so the unwanted parts of it which can degrade the signal so you end up with a noisy degraded uh, image which you might recognize a person in that image because you were there or a car or a building but adding flash uh, allows the sensor to work or the piece of film to produce a cleaner more um, informed image so you would get more information from it now i i don't see anything wrong with using flash because if there is a phantom there a real phantom as opposed to her hallucination then it is it is already visible so it's already within the visible light spectrum um and adding light should make it more visible according to you know the rules of common sense uh, you know, if there's a cat in the room that you can't see very well because it's a black cat in a you know in a dark room, if you if you want to take a photograph of it, um, it's not going to cut. And you use a flash, you're going to see a really good picture of the cat because the cat is there. Likewise, if the if the apparition is a real apparition, an external apparition, um, and not a hallucination, then using flash seems entirely logical and sensible. That's it. Because if it's because already there, you're actually changing the conditions where where yeah. the situation is con- concerned. You're creating an artificial light in a situation where something you is are. seen in a, in a particular uh, you are, light. Yeah, you are. But it's a trade-off. It's a trade-off between getting information or not having information to try and understand it. So it's a balanced judgment. The 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 the, the obvious way around that, of course, is to take two pictures, one with and one without the flash. So you've got provide, one. Provide, provide it's there long enough. Stays there long enough. <laughs> well, you know, modern cameras are quite good at you know, sort of uh, doing this sort of turn the flash on, turn the flash off, or fire one shot. Flash on, flash off, flash on, flash off. Um, you know, but there is a trade-off. You want information about the nature of what's in the room. Um, the best way to get that is to maximize your opportunity to get information, and you do have to. You're changing the conditions by being there. You know, sure. is a trade off. Well, no, actually, you're not. If you're seeing the spirit, well, you're, you're not really, really changing the conditions. You are in well, the conditions. Well, exactly, but you're, you're also, if the spirit. But is, unfortunately, the tunes are up, so we're going to have to carry this conversation later. Okay. Anyways, you're listening to Ghost Chronicles International, Steve Pass and Ron Cook, right here on Tojanet and Pararex. And when we come back, we'll actually have a brand new Tower of the Curious Tales, I believe. So, we'll be right back.
Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more, all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. Two of Ghost Chronicles International with New England's own Van Helsing and hey, hey. Gold Standard in Ghost Hunting. We've been talking go. about before we get to the Teller of Curious Tales and the the continuing emoticon war on Skype chat. Uh, we'll just finish off the thing we were saying about the um, the because the, the listeners to the podcast can't see all of the toing and throwing of the emoticons. Uh, kicked off by Ron with Star Wars, I believe. Uh, we've got an X-Wing and a TIE Fighter. Yeah. Uh, Angry Birds, what looks like a deranged hamster and a laughing That's Santa. from Star Wars, too. Is it? What is it? Yeah, yeah it's the new Star Wars, that oh, right. character. Ah. Uh, Karina, so, uh, somebody put that out. I'm not sure who's... Uh, it must be uh, Ben, right? No, not Ben. Uh, I don't know. Forget it. Okay. Sorry, podcast listeners, you got no idea what we're doing on Skype chat while we're talking to you here. Yeah, anyways. In fact, we don't have any idea what we're doing on Skype chat while we're talking to you here. Anyway, what was the question about vision? So we were talking about vision and so forth we uh, before the break. Fascinating yeah. subject. Right. And in fact, a great lead up to uh, uh, 20... Uh, well, I know, 20... hold on a second before you do that, but, you know, because when you add flash to it, you actually change the environment. So, yeah. I mean, and then you end up with stuff like, you know... Shadows, which are a lot of times flash fall off, and and other things that can be uh, be misinterpreted as spirits or shadow people or half a dozen other things. 
Well, don't forget, you also get shadows from any form of light. You don't require a powerful flash to create yeah, shadows. Exactly. Your, night, your night vision lights are creating shadows. Your thermal imager is creating shadows in a, in a strange sort of way by the, the infrared emissions from other objects. Strange. Uh, but it, it, we, get we can get shadows from you know any source of energy. You know where it's where it's blocked, it will create an energy shadow, a shadow. So you can have a shadow that's in the infrared range of the spectrum. You can have a shadow that's in the visible. You don't need to chuck a flash gun on to make shadows. Um, and in fact, you do see periodically a lot of images. Um, I was given one last year at Pembroke Castle where somebody had taken a picture with a night vision camera, and they had this eerily spooky shadow um, on the on the image that surprised them and they they sent me the image um and it turned out when you you do some very simple and i mean very simple photographic uh work with the picture using using um you know any of the commercially available programs you can alter the image i don't mean alter it as i heard in. alter i heard alter i don't mean alter it as in you change the original information but you could draw additional information from the portrayed image because what's shown on your screen or on the back of the camera is a representation of the data that's contained in the file you can portray it in lots of other different ways too without altering the basic information and one of the things you can do is you can boost the exposure you can boost the amount of shadow information or highlight information and by drawing up the shadow information it, it became quite apparent that it, in fact it became extremely apparent that it was her partner uh stood next to her yeah i, I mean I, there's a famous uh photograph that uh Anne took uh at uh, Fort Tabor the Jeff Belanger's event and it was I was so close to it was my camera back then I was so close to it that I became totally white from the flash and and everybody argued with us that it was a ghost when I knew mm -hmm. very well it was myself so I mean that fingers that, straps people yeah, you know that, bits of all happens uh, yeah all happens yeah. one of the one of the i mean if you are going to use software to look at your digital images um and it's a, it's a handy little trick before we go to the stuff teller of talk curious tales uh, how how best to use information from a digital camera is set it under expose if you set it uh, most of them have got exposure compensation dials on them and if you deliberately underexpose the image by about one to two stops uh, two stops is a good way to do it uh, so aim to underexpose everything you take by two stops because you can always recover information from shadow but you can't recover information from a blown highlight because as soon as the sensor uh, as soon as the pixel sends maximum information white uh, you, there is nothing else it can do so you've reached maximum state if the pixel is sending a less information uh, it will be interpreted as a very dark colour, but, but there is a lot of information still there. So if you deliberately underexpose by one to two stops and then use the shadow control on the computer, um, you can draw out information that ordinarily wouldn't be seen on a picture. Right. And another problem with flash cameras... little handy go-to. The other problem with flash cameras, of course, is 
shutter shutter exposure, uh, yeah. shutter, shutter speed. Yeah. Uh, when I first started doing this again, I had a uh, we worked with infrared film at that time, and uh, one of the uh, persons on my team would take these pictures, but he had his shutter so slow that he would get these ghostly images, and <laughs> a lot of times it was just normal people, uh, you know. Entering the are going through the uh, screen uh, through the uh, what's the word I'm looking for <coughs> the frame and yeah, uh, and and you know that goes all the way back to uh, Henry uh, William Mumla and that's how he used to take a lot of his photographs ghostly mm -hmm. photographs uh, the same, very similar to that all to do with uh, exposure. Well, interestingly, modern digital cameras uh, will throw another curveball at the investigator uh, because when when somebody moves from say uh, across a frame in a slow exposure picture we normally expect there to be a, a trail so they would um, you know leave a trail behind them like a car driving down a highway right, right. you take a slow we expect in a slow exposure photograph um, that it would, there would be a trail of light behind the the, the, the vehicle um, but modern digital cameras actually do it the other way around. If, if the shutter speed is below the flash synchronization speed, you uh, you get the, 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 the trail will actually uh, lead the moving object, which looks very, very unnatural. And that's why in, inside the menu options of most, most digital cameras, you will have an option to select first or second curtain synchronization. It's just a term that goes back to the days of uh, SLR photography, mm -hmm. where the first uh, curtain of the shutter would move, and after a, a, a period of time, milliseconds, a second curtain would start to follow it, and you would end up with the 30th of a second, 60th of a second gap between the two shutters as they traversed across the frame. Um, if the synchronization is with the first, the first curtain, the trail will always lead the object. Um, because SLRG is second curtain synchronization, the flash fired when the second curtain of the pair started to move. So we became used to this idea of a trail. Um, but modern digital cameras do it the other way around. And that can be quite disconcerting when they see if somebody moves across, a, say you've set your shutter speed at a tenth of, or the camera has automatically chosen a tenth of a second shutter speed, and somebody walks across the room, they will appear to be standing still and then there will be a trail walking forwards from them, almost like a ghost has stepped out of their body, yeah. um, which people can find very, because it's not something we're used to seeing. We, we have certain ways that we're, we've grown up to see the world around us. Photography ha for 150 plus years was always done using chemical based film, uh, silver halide crystals embedded into a cellulose or plastic film. And, all of the imagery that we see in Hollywood movies, or that we see in books, is portrayed that same way. When we look at comic books and animations, it's portrayed that same way. The trail will always follow the object. Digital cameras actually do things quite differently because they rely on light hitting an electronic sensor, which sends a signal to a computer, which then draws an image. It paints an image for us based upon the signal it's getting from the sensor. So mm -hmm. it's not even a close representation 
uh, with a piece of film, at least you can look at the negative and see where the light struck the piece of exactly. uh, the, the silver crystals. I uh, do miss uh, photography with the negative. So do I. Because yeah. the joy of the negative is you can see precisely where the photons of light hit the yeah. silver halide crystals. With a, with a digital camera, uh, you will never know where the... Uh, you've got raw formats, but... Maybe I'll go back to it again. Yeah. Um, old school again. Anyways, we do have a new teller of yeah. curious tales. So and we still use and we still use thirty-five millimeter film. Yes, good. So, anyways, can we? Out there. Yeah, yeah, of course you would. Anyways, uh, can we have the teller of curious tales, please? Tonight, I, the teller of curious tales, open my book once again and bring you strange and unusual stories. True stories, stranger than any fiction ever written. Listen to the teller of curious tales. This is the story of Michael Deteni of Budapest, Hungary. Michael was hard up. His wife and children were in want. All he had left from his more prosperous days was a $25,000 life insurance policy. He wrote the company offering to give up the policy if they would pay him $12,000. They wrote back, refusing the offer. He called them up and warned them that they were due for an unpleasant surprise. The insurance official who spoke to him laughed, but if he had known what plans Michael had formed to take care of his family, he probably wouldn't have been so funny to him. That evening, Michael ate dinner with his prosperous friend at a little sidewalk cafe. Suddenly, and in the middle of the meal, Michael arose from the table and in cold blood fired six shots into his friend's body, killing him instantly. When the police came, they found Michael laughing. At his trial, he refused a lawyer provided by the state. He laughed at the attorney the insurance company sent over to defend him. He did his utmost to help the prosecution prove that it was a premeditated murder. He laughed when the jury brought in a verdict of guilty and the judge passed the sentence of death. He laughed when he mounted the scaffold and the executioner adjusted the black cap. He was still chuckling when the trap was sprung and his neck snapped. Michael Deteni had had his revenge. Had Michael committed suicide, the insurance company would have paid nothing. But there was a clause in his policy which paid a double indemnity in the case of a natural death. Even the insurance company had to admit that hanging is not a natural way to die, and Michael's family received $50,000 from them. It was an unpleasant surprise. The gong strikes. My time is up. The teller of Curious Tales has closed his book. 
On my next visit, I'll bring you other stories, curious tales, strange beliefs. Until then, sleep tight. <laughs> Wow. Well, that was sneaky, wasn't it? That was pretty nasty. It's always good, though, to get one up on the insurance companies. Yeah, I'll give you that. <laughs> 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 Anyways, uh, as we're winding down, uh, there is uh, another little interesting thing in the news, which I uh, I don't know if you've seen yet. Uh, I, I posted on my Facebook page. It's about this strange-looking object that's uh, been floating through our solar system. Have you seen oh, it? Yeah, I, I, it's been floating around Facebook for a couple of weeks now, on and off. Yeah, um, yeah, because well, it's, it's been needle-shaped, a... needle-shaped asteroid. Yeah, yeah, it's it's intriguing, isn't it? It looks like almost something from a Hollywood movie, doesn't it? It does. I mean, I, I was reading, I think today or yesterday, the, an idea that uh, an astronomer had had that it might be a shard of a shattered planet or a smashed chunk of another asteroid. Um, you know, that kind of makes sense. You know, if you if you break something apart, it always, it doesn't always go into neat little sort of um, chunks. There's a trigger though, but you know, most of, but most of the you know when you think about it, most of the meteors and everything do have that. You know, they're they're round. They're you know they're they're pieces like that. They're not. They don't have this strange shape like that, which is. I find intriguing anyways. Well, I remember uh, we had an astronomer here in the UK um, answer that very question um, on television. Oh, many, many years. Heather, I can't remember her name now. But it was it was noted that, you know, she, so, uh, I think some, some kid, it was one of these sort of ask an astronomer, you know, ask a space scientist some questions. And one of them said, why is it that asteroids are usually, you know, sort of potato shaped, round Right. most round Roundish. and she said think of it more like grains of sand on a beach because these things have been going round and round and round in the um, asteroid belt for countless billions of years bumping into one another knocking bits off one another and rather like grains of sand or pebbles on a beach um, they they eventually end up in the, you know where all the the edges have been knocked off and so you end up with this more rounded shape. This might be what what this might be. You know, it might be a piece that's either not been knocked into smaller chunks, eroded down by c- constant collisions with other meteors. Um, you know, it might be a more recent fracture. You know, when when the boys were down at the beach in the summer, they they took to throwing uh, some of the stones against other stones, and you know, some of them were quite sharp shards that came off you know some of some of the splinters of rock were quite sharp needle-like um but it is intriguing it's an interesting shape and it it does kind of look spaceshipy doesn't it yeah a man made of some sort yeah or or you know uh, not natural rather than you know it, it does it's an interesting shape and in fact there was there was another one found um on one of the hubble images from the orion m3 cluster uh, where they found a, another anomaly that's oblong, that's elongated, uh, that we, I think was posted yesterday. Oh, so, really? So, the, but this is a long ways away. This is in the Orion M3. Uh, it's an invasion. I'm telling you, Steve, it's yeah. an invasion. Well, it was like planets. It was exo- in fact, there's a big announcement on Thursday. NASA have got a big announcement on coming up on Thursday. Uh, they call the a huge press conference um, where... 
nobody quite knows what they're going to say, but it's they. Uh, the speculation is that they're about to announce some new groundbreaking discoveries on the exoplanets. These are the Earth-like planets that orbit other stars. I mean, I remember it was, what, 10 years ago? They hadn't found any other planets that none that were known to exist, and now we're, you know, we're into the hundreds of them. Uh, you know, planets are popping up like you know, weeds in a, in, a, in, a, in a lawn. Um, I, I guess it was only a matter of time, if, if the speculation is correct on Thursday, that they've discovered an Earth-like planet uh, or group of Earth-like planets uh, amongst these exoplanets, planets in other solar systems. Yeah, the intriguing thing is, is we, the, we're, we're looking at some of these from so far out that we're, it's all conjecture. I mean, I remember uh, them talking about a Dyson sphere uh, that they, they thought they found. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know what a Dyson sphere is, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, it's a man-made. Uh, for our listeners, it's a man-made uh, a planet that where the people actually instead of live on the planet, live in the planet. Well, it's a it's a geodetic structure, geodetic structure, isn't it? Yeah, uh, I, and you know, in, in, we are running out of towards the time, and I wanted to go back to that ghost story there. There was a a, a parapsychologist that uh, talked about that. Did you, uh, you ever hear of this guy? In the, uh, uh, you have to tell me his name first. Uh, I, I can't. I'd have to play it, and I don't want to do that. So oh. I, I can't remember well, names you that. Well, parapsychologists have, have speculated on all manner of things. Yeah. Well, this one actually wrote a book about ghost sex. Uh, oh, hang on a minute. Um, I think if anyone knows, you would know. Yeah, I can't remember his damn name now. Um, <laughs> I know the book as well. Um, I don't right. have a copy. I don't have a copy, unfortunately. Might be worth getting this guy on the show and find out what the hell's going on. I, you know, we we they go back to see, sex with spirits and ghosts. I mean, we've got the, the most obvious, famous one coming up, uh, mm-hmm. the Virgin Mary, of course. Right. Um, but it's Christmas, right? But 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 ghost sex or spirit sex has been around, you know. For as long, you know, as humans have been right, we've had incubi and succubi. Yeah, it's, there's uh, so many uh, medieval yeah. paintings. Yeah, witches, of, witches had sex. Yeah, yeah, witches had sex with the devil or with, yeah. um, with, with, um, you know, demons. It, it's far from a, a, a new phenomena, yeah. which suggests that there is something to it. You know, there is some something behind the smoke. Even, um, even back to uh, you know Greece mythology, where the gods yeah. would have sex with mortals, right? Yeah, I mean there there is there is it, it would strongly indicate that there is something behind the myth. Now, whether that something is spirits having sex with humans, or whether that myth is something physiological or psychological within the person, mm-hmm. um, I, th- I think it's, it's a, it would make it a perfectly valid area for research and not a perfectly valid area for ridicule. And, you know, I, I, I was just struck by the irony of all these believers, all these strong advocates and supporters of the paranormal who weekly, you know, on Facebook share their own bizarre stories of shadow people, black-eyed children and all manner of other weird uh, phenomena. Scratches, they people being scratched, right? Yeah, yeah. But then they immediately criticise something that sounds to them bizarre, um, mm-hmm. simply on the basis of it sounds bizarre. Now... To that lady, it wasn't bizarre. To that person that was, you know, went on bravely, went on television uh, for a, presumably for a, a fee. Um, <laughs> <laughs> to her, it wasn't bizarre. 
you know, to her it was a reality. To them, a black-eyed child, a shadow person is a reality. We can't, you know, they shouldn't expect people to accept their reality and then be critical of others. That's yeah. hypocritical. Uh, and, and the morning show, we discussed a case that actually occurred in Wales. Right. Yeah, and, and I meant to ask you about it, but... Uh... Well, Wales is a fairly big country. I haven't met everybody yet. You haven't? Really? I, I thought you, well, I thought it might be big news in there. I mean, Wales is the size of what, Rhode Island? Is it that big? I don't know. How big is Wales? <laughs> I have no clue how big Wales is. It's about the size is, of Rhode know. Island, apparently. <laughs> no, seriously, I have no clue how big Wales is. Do you, you, uh, it's about 200, about 200 from top to bottom and about 100 from, end to, uh, from side to side. Uh, okay, so oh, I figure you know everybody there. No, <laughs> there's a few people out, you know, remote out in the hills and the um, the mountains that we have met here. Uh, it's got a population, I think, of about three million. Yeah, uh, okay. So like, like, like one of our small cities. About the same size population <laughs> as, Bo as Boston, I think. So intriguing. Yeah. Now, if they could only spell it, it'd be really great. <laughs> <laughs> the Welsh language, because it's 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 actually not an old language. It's a it's a Victorian construct of an older language. Oh, is it? I didn't it, it was. I mean, there is uh, there is a, a you know Welsh does go back a long way, hundreds hundreds of years. However, the modern Welsh that is spoken and written uh, that you will encounter is actually a construct of Victorian um, scholars. They they devised a a Welsh language based upon this earlier language um, hmm. and there are huge I mean like you've got variations you know I've seen the video of people from California trying to say the names of towns and places in oh, yeah, it. Um, and it's like that you know the North Wales North Walians um, only 150 miles away will pronounce words very differently than they will in South Wales uh, oh. you know it, it there are you know, dialects, there are differences, there are variations. There are some, there are some, and because Welsh is an old language, it has some really strange uses of words where they haven't got a modern equivalent, like the word ambulance um, and nuclear reactor. And that Welsh don't actually have a, word, a name for the colour blue. Hmm. Um, there is no, uh, when they were writing the language, they forgot that one particular colour. So they refer to blue Maybe as black. Like well, <laughs> The color, probably because we don't see it very often, but the colour blue is called glass, which is the same as the word for sky. Which oh, is blue. that makes sense, yeah. So um, when you say that you know, somebody's uh, colour is blue, you're actually saying it's sky because it, they don't have a, a specific word for the colour blue. Mm -hmm. uh, and red is koch, and green oh. is... Oh, I can't remember them. Um, mm. Well, actually, the kids, both the kids are... That they have compulsory Welsh lessons in school. I have no idea why, but they do. Yeah. Uh, they're becoming quite fluent in the nonsense. Mm. Yeah, well, it's intriguing. And, and uh, if anybody has uh, done the, I mean, it must be a hard language to learn, at least to write. It's got more freaking letters than I've ever seen in some words. Well, it's and, got less. It's, it's actually it's a very easy language to read. It is. It's a, it, it's I, I can read Welsh quite quite fluently. Um, mm -hmm. I can't I can't speak Welsh because of the the specific way in which the letters are pronounced. So the pronunciation is the difficulty, but reading it is actually quite simple. Yeah, so there you um, go. 
because you know once you learn the the basic mechanics of the of how the language is put together you can can you know read it quite well uh, speaking of youngsters and fluent welsh um we have the nightmare before christmas next week we do. We do. It's the nightmare before Christmas, which is an unmissable annual event where we, you and I, give up the the show to St. Cat, St. Jan and Cat, or St. Cat and St. Jan, and we're going to we be do. joined by. We're going to be joined. We do. You remember, and we're going to be joined by the baby, the younger ghost hunters. I might break that tradition this year. <laughs> he threatened that every year. Jan mm. would. Yeah, Jan wouldn't be happy. The girls love their chat. Yeah. Uh, we, we, and we always finished with the traditional telling of the nightmare, be, the night before Christmas. The nightmare night before, before Christmas. <laughs> this whole show is a nightmare before Christmas, if you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> always gets the ratings, though. <laughs> uh, yeah, whatever. Anyways. There were uh, three people tuned into that last year. What's that? There were three listeners to that one last year. That's one up on normal. <laughs> That's three up on normal. <laughs> I thought we still on two. <laughs> Anyways, uh, it's just about it. We got about like thirty seconds. Anything you like, Garrett? Like to add? No, no, nothing no? at all. Quiet week. Getting on with it. No, no ghost sex or anything. No, not not. Sadly, no. Our temperatures no, at ten, ten degrees Fahrenheit. So it's quite cold here in the UK at the moment. Yeah, it's it's cold here. We we had of course a big snowstorm uh, this past uh, weekend. And... As did we. We okay. mirrored your weather for the first time in a long time. Yeah, well, there's a tune, so we got to go. So, that being said, uh, tune in next week when the nightmare yeah. before Christmas is, will take over the airways. <laughs> Till then, good night and God bless. Good night, God bless. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.